Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 14 Baz spent most of the day trying not to vomit. They moved down the great road at a mild pace, but Baz's horse might as well have been a ship on a raging sea. If Farston's speaker was half as good with spells as Ag was with a blade. Liana tried to give Baz a reassuring smile now and again, but her heart obviously wasn't in it and Rox was like a cat with its hackles up, trying to look everywhere at once, as if the threat wasn't riding right there alongside them inside that foolish wagon. Between surges of anxious nausea, Baz kept trying to work out why Farston was doing this. Was he really just that eager to rub in his superiority? That would have been a sensible explanation for most other readers, arrogant and insecure, the lot of them. But Farston seemed so self-assured with that bone-chillingly placid voice of his, and the way he looked at Baz. Baz clamped his mouth shut as his stomach heaved once more. After a day during which Baz felt he'd aged multiple lifetimes, the shore of the shallows came into view. Along it lay their destination, Paper Ferry. Before the burning, It had been a principal point of commerce, bringing merchants to and from Fable, the island at the shallow's center where the paper for spoken books had been made. Now it was all but deserted, most of the buildings having fallen into ruin. The town's only residents were a handful of impoverished sailors who operated the one remaining ferry, and a few merchants who catered to the mill workers who still lived on Fable and the conservators who made pilgrimage out to the island. Much of Oration's paper supply still came from the island, but without any spoken books being created since the burning, demand was a fraction of what it had been at the height of the scribes. As they entered the town, really it was a haphazard collection of half-standing huts, a man approached them. His white shirt was tattered and hung loosely on his frame, He had a patchy beard and one eye that wandered. The good eye studied their group for a time, eventually settling on Liana. He bowed to her. Madam Conservator, he said, a voice like salt water, sour and scratchy. Will you be taking the pilgrimage? Before Liana could respond, Farston emerged from his wagon. We'll be needing none of your services, Illit. Off with you. The sailor righted himself and glared at Farston. No need to be! His voice died away. Farston's demeanor showed no outward change, but all of a sudden the sailor went rigid, as if someone had accused him of tearing pages from a book. 
He made the warding gesture of the Trinity, cupping his hands together and opening them like a book, then raising three fingers to his lips. Apologies, sir, I'm sure. I'll leave you to your business. Without waiting for a reply, the man turned and left. Judging from his hurried gait, he was trying not to sprint. Here should do nicely for our camp, Farston said, motioning to an open field beyond the town's outmost buildings. But doesn't Paper Fairy have an inn? Deliritus asked. The edge of one of Farston's eyes twitched, but his expression remained otherwise aloof. Certainly, if you wish to sleep on flea-ridden mattresses used by illits and conservators. Liana coughed, but Farston ignored her. Deliritus also seemed oblivious to the slight the duke had offered Liana, grimacing at Farston's mention of fleas and illits. Here is good. Wonderful. A bit early to dine, though. What do you say we have our duel now? Perhaps just a bit of time to make camp first, Deliritus said through his teeth, in time to prepare my speaker. Farston chuckled, though it might as well have been a threat of murder for all the panic it sent through Baz's extremities. The top of the hour, then. He looked to Baz, danger glinting in his irises, then returned to his wagon and shut the door behind him. Rocks, Deliritus said. Pitch the tent and give me the book pack. Bastion, let's go over there and discuss. He motioned to a tree along the shores of the shallows. Baz numbly followed the Torchshire air, trying not to stumble. What was it about Farston's eyes that felt so terrible, yet at the same time so familiar? Deliritus set down the book pack and began rummaging through it. Hmm, most of the offensive volumes I brought were in case of a cityless raid. They're meant for killing, not dueling. He tapped a finger to his lips. I suppose this will do. He removed a volume bound in green leather, holding it out for Baz to consider. What, do you think I'm going to read the cover? Baz asked. Deliritus grimaced, pulling the book back. Sorry, he muttered. This is the Major Fireball book, but it's got some lesser hexes as well. Flame darts, smoke clouds, burning eagle. What do you think? Hmm, Baz replied. He was still staring in the direction of Farston's wagon, trying to place what it was about the man's eyes. Bloody burning books, Bastion! Deliritus slammed the book to the ground. Baz yelped and tripped over himself, falling to one knee. Scribe's demise, Deliritus! What? You is what? Baz didn't think he'd ever heard the Torchsire air so emotional. Have you seen the way he looks at you? Burning's cause if I know why, but he means to harm you, maybe even kill you, and I don't have Delida this time like I did for rocks. Baz's blood went cold. Of course he'd considered the potential outcomes of the duel, but what he hadn't considered until that moment was that Farston might not be the only person interested in seeing the breath cease to flow from his lungs. Baz slowly turned his head in Deliritus's direction. What? the Torchsire heir demanded. When Baz didn't say anything, Deliritus began to question him further, but stopped himself. 
his cheeks colored, and he looked down to his boots. Stop it, Bastion. I wouldn't do that. Wouldn't you? Baz said. His voice ought to have been heated, but instead the question came out low and shaky. No, Deliritus said. I would not. I haven't forgotten what you are, Bastion, and what you know, but I also haven't forgotten what you did for me. Now, would you please pay attention so we can avoid you getting killed? Even if you trust me so little, you must at least realize how shaming it would be if I showed up to the Congress with no speaker. Baz nodded. There was some sense in that, at least. Deliritus was insecure as the next reader, and Baz believed Deliritus might actually rather have his secrets revealed than suffer the shame of looking like a pauper in front of other readers. So they proceeded to have their first civil conversation in months, discussing how best to use the book Deliritus had indicated to both defend themselves and attack Farston's speaker without killing anyone. A speaker's duel was different from the ordinary duel between two trios of reader, speaker, and harbor. In those matches, the aim was to land blows on the opposing reader while simultaneously defending your own. Reader-speaker duels were different, much less common. They were rarely used strictly as a form of entertainment, but instead as a way for readers to air their grievances against one another. Rather than fighting one another, a reader laying hands on another reader would be undignified. They took it out on one another's speakers. The reader whose speaker was first incapacitated or submitted was the loser. That speaker was also the loser, of course, but no one ever spoke in such terms. It wasn't unheard of for speakers to die in such duels, though the winning reader had to pay the replacement value of the killed speaker if that occurred. That didn't always stop readers from inflicting mortal force, though, particularly the wealthier ones. Sometimes the show of dominance achieved by killing a rival speaker was worth the outlay of funds. Baz was fortunate to never have found himself in a speaker's duel. Few people had any desire to suffer the political blowback from challenging the direct heir of a library, and Deliritus, for all his foibles, rarely did anything that drew the ire of other readers. So naturally, the first time Baz would be engaged in a duel would be at the hands of Oration's most powerful man, a man apparently bent on inflicting maximum suffering on Deliritus and those associated with him. When Farston re-emerged from his wagon, Baz and Deliritus were ready. At least, Deliritus had said they were ready. Baz was still just trying to keep his breakfast down. Rocks had pitched their tent well away from Farston's wagon, leaving a wide, open space between their two camps. Deliritus met Farston at the middle of the space, Baz trailing behind him. Baz eyed the Duke's speaker. The destroyer stared straight ahead, like a dog told to stay. In the light of the setting sun, his eyes appeared like two burning coals. That did very little to ease the dragons doing battle in Baz's stomach. "'Would you like to set the rules of engagement?' Farston asked in his pacifying tone. Usually, his voice sent terrifying shivers through Baz. This time, though, it was nearly hypnotic, impossible to ignore, and nearly sleep-inducing. 
Baz had to blink several times as his lids suddenly sagged. Look at his eyes. That was the only way to keep from losing focus around the man when his voice got that way. Farston's eyes revealed his true nature. Peering into them was like slipping one's head through a hangman's noose. Likely bad for your health, but it certainly kept you alert. Reader calls his own speaker's submission, Deliritus said. None of the nonsense you pulled at the banquet with opponents calling mortality. You might have fooled most of the torch sires assembled for the feast, but I know that isn't the rule in fortune. Farston's lips twitched upward, inclining his head to Deliritus. The torchsire heir had apparently arrived at a similar conclusion as Baz, for he didn't allow himself to lose eye contact with the Liamina Duke. Reader calls his own submission and no spells longer than ten spoken seconds, Deliritus said, voice colder than Baz had ever heard it. Do you accept? Do you think ten seconds will limit the amount of harm I can inflict upon your speaker? Farston's eyes shifted over to Baz. He took several steps away from the Liamina Duke and wasn't even ashamed of it. It was considered intelligent to run from wolves, worms, and dragons. Baz saw no difference here. Do you accept? Deliritus asked again, voice far steadier than Baz could have made his own. Farston's eyes shifted back to Deliritus. The Torchsire heir was not wholly immune from the Duke's stare. Deliritus took a step back. I do. Shall we begin? Deliritus nodded, then turned and walked back toward their camp, where Rox and Liana waited. Are you sure this is wise, Marquis Deliritus? Liana asked when they'd reached the edge of their camp. Though she'd addressed Deliritus, she was looking at Baz. It wouldn't have been proper, after all, to address a reader's speaker with the reader present. Baz temporarily forgot his terror at the anger that thought caused him. Don't worry, my good conservator, Deliritus said, injecting levity into his tone. You heard the Duke. This is just a friendly competition, a bit of entertainment. Enjoy yourself. Liana's lips twitched into what might have been an acknowledging smile, but her eyes said otherwise when she quickly glanced at Baz before striding away back toward her tent. Rocks, Deliritus said, tone still light. If it's all the same to you, keep an eye on Farston, yes? The words mean what they mean, Rox said, eyes already staring across the field toward the Liamina Duke. The harbor let his razor slip from where it hung on his shoulder into his hand. Ordinarily, that might have reassured Baz, but Rox's face was still the color of chalk, and his lips still twisted in pain when he moved too quickly. The big man seemed as likely to hurt himself as someone else if he were to get into a fight. That they do, my big friend. Come, young Bastion, let's show Duke Farston we're not quite as pathetic as he seems to think. Baz nearly responded that, in all likelihood, they were precisely as pathetic as Farston believed. His mouth was too dry to talk, though, so he just followed Deliritus. The torchsire heir had slipped into the harness that held his portable lectern, the book he and Baz had agreed upon positioned on it at eye level. Baz tried to adjust the brim of his hat, but only succeeded in nearly knocking it off his head. 
From across the field, Duke Farston made the gesture of the Trinity, same as the sailor who'd come out from Paper Ferry to greet them. Though, while the sailors had seemed a friendly greeting, Farston somehow managed to make the simple motion appear a curse. Deliritus returned the gesture. As soon as Deliritus's fingers touched his lips, Duke Farston began to speak. Baz had never heard anything like it. Words flew off his tongue like a portcullis's snapped chain spinning on its spool. Farston's speaker repeated the words nearly as fast, and their first spell was cast before Deliritus had even finished looking down at the page of his own book. A jet of water shot from the nearby lake, taller than Xavier Tower. For several moments, Baz could only stare at it, amazed. Then he realized the liquid was forming itself into a spear, aimed straight at him. He dove to one side, just as it impacted the ground, mud spraying into the air. Oof! Baz hit the earth, stunned. Dirt and rocks pelted down on him. He gasped, but inhaled as much dust as he did air and began coughing. Bastion! Deliritus's call cut through the ringing in Baz's ears, and he managed to sit up, still spluttering. Without pausing, the torchsire air began to read. Scribes knew that Baz wasn't one to jump like a dog when Deliritus called, but it was a speaker's natural instinct to repeat words spoken by his reader, and Baz did so automatically, simultaneously forcing himself back to his feet. With the amount of work he and Deliritus had been called upon to perform since the trials, Baz's own enunciation had improved, and despite gasping for air, Baz managed to get the spell off without issue, flinging his hand in the direction of Farston's speaker as he did so. Black smoke shot out of his fingertips, hiding Farston and his speaker from view. A moment later, another lance of water struck the ground several paces to Baz's right. Scribes alive! He hadn't even seen that coming! Bastion, with me! Deliritus rushed past, and Baz stumbled after him. As they moved, Deliritus began speaking once more, and Baz repeated, still panting. Baz quickly grasped that it was the fire dart's spell, and began to make tossing motions in the general direction he'd last seen Farston's speaker. With each motion, a thin plume of flame came spiraling out of his hand, disappearing into the smoke. Baz got about halfway through the speaking before another water spell shot out from the smoke screen's center, taking him square in the stomach. Unlike the prior spells, this had been a wave intended to cover a broad area, so instead of impaling Baz like a sword, it merely tossed him back like rocks had come barreling into him at full speed. The spell Baz had been speaking died away, and his mouth burned like he'd just bitten it ten times all at once. He was launched off his feet, arcing like a lobbed ball, then slammed back to earth. Dazed, but knowing he couldn't remain still, he began rolling until he was back within the cloud of smoke. While that hid him from view, it also deprived him of oxygen, and he once more began coughing uncontrollably. He could hear Deliritus shouting, but couldn't make out the words. Baz tried to remember the first line of the dart spell, but found his mind jumbled like raisins in a cake, a lump already forming where his head had met the ground. So he did what any dignified man would do in the situation. 
he began to crawl, choosing a random direction. Just as he thought his lungs might combust from the burning lack of oxygen, Baz suddenly found himself out in the open once more, and staring a dragon straight in the face. Ah! he cried incoherently, awkwardly throwing himself backward. Jagged teeth snapped down at him, liquid spraying across his face. For a moment, Baz feared it was his own blood. He smacked his lips and found that his face was covered in water. Baz let his eyes focus and found that the dragon was actually just a nebulous blob of lake floating in the air with vaguely reptilian features. It snorted, sending twin lances of murderous hydration toward him. He rolled like a barrel falling from a cart. Burning pain in his side indicated his dodge hadn't been entirely successful. This was absurd. How could he hope to best a reader who could summon dragons from a puddle? Baz's roll came to an abrupt stop as he hit something solid. Instinctively, he scrambled to his feet, reaching one hand to his head to steady his hat, and found himself face to face with Farston's speaker. The shorter man was mumbling rapidly, obviously straining to maintain the corporeality of the summoned water dragon. His eyes rose, and the two of them stared at each other for several moments. The speaker began to motion with his hand, obviously intending to launch another liquid spear at Baz. But spells are not always the answer. Baz punched the speaker straight in the nose. With more than a little embarrassment, Baz found that his cry of pain was nearly as loud as that of Farston's speaker. Bloody burning books! It felt like he'd broken every bone in his hand. Still, he'd gotten the better of the exchange. Farston's speaker grasped at his face, blood already coating his fingers, and dropped to his knees. A splash from behind Baz indicated the water dragon was no more. Baz nearly permitted himself a smug smile. Then Farston stepped out of the smokescreen mere paces away. Baz froze. The Liamina Duke had a sword, though it wasn't drawn, and his speaker was incapacitated. Nonetheless, Baz had the distinct impression he was in even more danger now than he had been moments before. Farston's speaker tried to scramble to his feet at the sight of his master, but the Duke waved a hand toward him. Baz was pretty certain the gesture hadn't even touched the speaker, but he toppled to the ground as if struck. Farston ignored him, his colorless eyes locked on Baz. For a slave, you are exceedingly difficult to get alone, young orator. Baz suddenly felt as if he'd swallowed a bag full of sand, eyes darting away from Farston's own. The thin strand of hope he'd been holding that Farston hadn't discovered he could read, slipped through Baz's fingers. But really, it was the way Farston had said it that raised Baz's hackles. He'd said, orator. No one spoke like that. A speaker who could read was a cuss. He'd only ever heard one group of people use the term orator, and if Farston knew that those people existed... Baz knew he ought to be terrified, standing alone in front of this man but he'd made the mistake of taking his eyes off Farston's, and immediately Baz felt his body begin to sway. Farston's voice was like some terrible lullaby to which Baz couldn't stop himself from listening. Yes, Farston said, his voice like the gentle lapping of water in a pool. Just rest. 
It will be over soon. Bez's eyes began to droop, even though just seconds before, adrenaline had been pumping through his veins with such ferocity that he doubted he'd be able to sleep for a week. Ever since we last met, Farston continued, I knew I had to find you. I have regained some small strength, but with you I would be nearly as strong as I once was. There is such power in you, and you passed my little test, surviving as you just did. You'll be perfect. Since we last met? Farston wasn't speaking as if he meant the last few days, but rather that they'd encountered one another at some time prior to his recent visit to Erstwhile. Baz was certain he'd never met the man before. He certainly could not have forgotten seeing those eyes before. All this was occurring in a tiny corner of Baz's mind, though, pushed far to the back of his consciousness. The sound of Farston's voice had instilled in Baz the sensation of floating in a sea of cotton, soft and dreamlike, yet also constricting and impossible to move without just flopping around. The Duke was right in front of him. Hadn't he just been several paces away, out of arm's reach? It was as if he'd just moved from one place to another without having covered the intervening ground in between. Or maybe it was just the blasted daze that had suddenly overcome Baz. He shook his head, trying with little success to clear the trance caused by Farston's susurrating voice. The Duke reached a hand toward Baz's neck, fingers opening wide as if he meant to wrap them around Baz's throat. Baz tried to flinch away, but his muscles had ceased to respond to his will. Nevertheless, Farston jerked his hand back, scowling. Through the discombobulating haze caused by Farston's voice, Baz heard shouting. Liana? Was that Liana shouting? A bit of Baz's senses returned to him, and he began to look around, trying to locate her. The smoke from the spell Deliritus had caused Baz to cast was still thick in the air, and he couldn't see more than a few feet in any direction. Cityless! she cried. Stop this foolish dueling! We're under attack! Baz began to turn in the direction of Liana's voice. That was when his head erupted in pain, and everything went black. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is October 7th, 2022 as I record this, which is episode 11 of season 2 of the podcast. Actually, no, it's episode 12 of season 2 of the podcast. Mm. Uh, losing count. It's uh, episode number 39 overall, and I'm coming to you slightly out of uniform here today. I'm uh, pecking for a, for a trip I'm leaving for later today. If you... Uh, read this week's installment of the newsletter, you'll know I'm headed to Denver for the weekend, visiting uh, my little sister who moved out there recently. Uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, I've never been before. Uh, here it's beautiful. We have several hikes planned, and I am also going to a Great American Beer Festival. Um, since I'm a big craft beer fan, that is a <laughs> almost a bucket list thing of mine to do. So looking forward 
to that and uh, hoping to bring you all back lots of uh, awesome photos to share in the newsletter uh, next week. Um, so that's that. Uh, you know, as I, I waxed a little poetic in the newsletter on this as, uh, as well, but, you know, traveling is a great opportunity to kind of, uh, both, uh, rest from, uh, from the general writing routine, but also kind of refill the, uh, creative well, so to speak. So, uh, I'm all kind of doubly excited for the trip. You know, it would be good to get away for a few days and see something new, but also I know I'm going to come back, uh, all geared up, ready to get writing again. I plan to start drafting part five of the Spoken Books Uprising next week <coughs> when I return. So I'll have updates about that coming out here shortly. Um, be doing an official title reveal and uh, we'll probably see the cover in about a month as well. So lots of exciting stuff here. I've also been uh, working away on the essays for my uh, box set of books one through this week I was writing one about the uh, real-life historical influences for the Spoken Books Uprising. So uh, if you're interested in uh, checking that out, uh, pick up a copy of the box set when it comes out, probably in about a, probably in about a month. I plan to have it ready for the, for the holiday shopping season, right? <laughs> um, also, if you like trains, uh, I went on another train ride last weekend and featured a few uh, photos of trains in, uh, in the newsletter this week. So you can head on over to dtkane.com slash email dash sign up to uh, sign up for the newsletter or just go to dtkane.com and the links for the email newsletter are pretty obvious there. Uh, every week in there I do my fantasy quote of the week where I select a quote uh, and then write up an essay about it and then I also share photos of the week and personal updates and then you know, of course, uh, news about my own writing and podcast, and uh, I also share links to uh, other free fantasy and sci-fi books that you can get. So check that out if you're interested in any of uh, that stuff. And uh, as always, uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash dtkane and uh, check out my Patreon page as well. And as always, thank you to my current patrons, uh, orators, Jan, Jason, and Patty, and uh, Declaimer Diane. Thank you very much for your ongoing support, guys. All right, so um, hope you enjoyed this week's uh, narration here. We just finished chapter 14 of Declaimer's Discovery. Uh, action action scene with the duel between uh, Deliritus and Baz and Farston and, and his speaker. Um, next week we're going to do an analysis episode where we'll be talking about um, all the chapters we've read in part two of Declaimer's Discovery thus far. I believe that's 11 through 14. So uh, we'll be discussing all of those next week. Because um, I'll just quickly throw out there, if you've noticed that Farston's speaker doesn't have a name. That's actually uh it's actually intentional. Just trying to drive home the fact that uh you know most of the readers in oration don't don't really even view their speakers as uh as people, so they in some instances don't even bother giving them names. 
So if you've been wondering about that, why it's just Farston's a speaker, that's kind of my thought process there. Um, okay, uh, if, you have any if you have any questions for me about the reading or any other questions you'd like to hear me answer on the podcast, you can email me, dtkane at dtkane.com. And that brings us to uh, this week's quote of the week, which, uh, once again, is coming from Mr. J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, hope you guys aren't tired of the Tolkien quotes. I feel like I feature a quote from him like every third week, but he's just got so many so many poignant <laughs> things to say that it's hard to resist. <clears throat> um, but this week, a quote about travel seemed appropriate since I'm headed on a trip, and as ever, J.R.R., came through for us so uh, this week's quote is a little a uh, little poem or song here still around the corner there may wait a new road or a secret gate and though i oft have passed them by a day will come at last when i shall take the hidden paths that run west of the moon east of the sun well i have uh made peace with the fact that I will never write as eloquently as Mr. Tolkien, <laughs> but uh, I do I do love his prose. Um, so this is uh, The Walking Song. I'm sure Lord of the Rings fans out there are familiar with it. There are actually two versions of it that appear in the books. first one's in Chapter 3 of Fellowship. Uh, the, the hobbits are singing it as they're strolling through the woods before they encounter uh, a black rider for the first time. Um, and then towards the end, we hear the song again. Uh, Frodo is singing it to himself while uh, he and Sam are on their way to the havens. But it's uh, Frodo's modified the words slightly, and that's the example we have here. The, the version that I just read is from the end of Return of the King. Uh, this is the second verse of the song, for those wondering. Uh, if you're more a fan of the movies and the books, you likely know the third which is the final verse of the song, probably better, because it was set to music and sung by uh, Billy Boyd, um, who played Pippin. This, this is the scene where, uh, <laughs> where Denethor is uh, having a very uh, very animated dinner while uh, we're flipping back between him uh, noshing on some tomatoes while Faramir is uh, rushing into that hopeless battle at uh, uh, Osgiliath. Sorry, uh, all you... Uh, Tolkien, Tolkien fans out there, if I'm I'm mispronouncing that, I like I love Lord of the Rings, but I'm not uh not steeped in all the pronunciations there. But uh, you know that that seems that seems maybe most famous for all the uh, the tomato eating memes that have <laughs> that have come out of that with Denethor. Um, well, but I'm sure it's probably pretty well known for Billy Boyd's performance there too. That's actually him, the actor singing that song in the movie. In uh, in case anyone was wondering if that was a a voiceover or not. <clears throat> so, and interesting that they chose these lyrics because I think the the song in the book is more, uh, you know, a walking song. That's what it's called. You know, kind of just kind of a lighthearted song to to pass the time. But they set it to a much more somber music uh, in the movie. Uh, okay, so that's really just my introduction to it. Uh, my actual little essay here is as follows. <clears throat> Traveling is full of excitement and new experiences, so it's easy to get caught up in the feeling that you must do everything when you visit somewhere new. Often, this isn't an issue. 
For most of us, travel is a rare luxury, and we want to see all the sights while we have the chance. But sometimes we try to see everything at the expense of enjoying nothing. I am guilty of this. In my household, I'm known as the one who blows the whistle when we travel. Come on, on to the next attraction. Move it. And so uh, I'm writing this as much for myself as anyone else. A single meaningful experience is worth more than a dozen photos that you're going to post on Facebook or Instagram, then promptly forget. Often, when I look back on trips, my most cherished memories are of those moments I didn't plan. So the next time you have an opportunity to stroll down a hidden path west of the moon or east of the sun, crumple up your itinerary and take it. All right. Uh, And as always, if you have a favorite fantasy quote uh, you would like me to feature on the podcast, uh, email me uh, dtkane at dtkane.com and I may feature it in a future fantasy quote of the week. So that is all for now. Uh, Bon voyage, as they say. I look forward to uh, chatting with all of you again next week, letting you know how my trip to Denver went. Uh, So until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect... You can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.